love is love is love is love <laughs> and love is blind especially when you love dogs this is the episode where john will lose his damn mind today's <laughs> movies ever after a cinderella story versus jupiter ascending yes jupiter ascending <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Movie Deja Vu, a podcast that answers the question, didn't I see this somewhere? From two movie aficionados. I'm John, a man who cleans toilets and swims in a lake. And with (laughs) me is my co-host, Shady, Da Vinci's apprentice and a Skywalker, I mean Skyjacker. Whoa. (laughs) Perfect. Shady, how are you? I'm good, John. How are you? Good. Shady, this is our first fan submission yay very exciting we have a fan yes (laughs) i may uh, it it may be my best friend but yes that's fine we Uh, like friends my friend lauren wrote us an email saying hey jupiter ascending v ever after tell me they are the same movies set in different time periods please best lauren now this friend Uh mind you she and I went to go see Jupiter Ascending in theaters. <laughs> and she fell asleep. <laughs> so she missed like a good third of the movie. So she probably woke up and was less confused than everyone else. Yes. <laughs> I, think, I think so. Yeah. I, I love you. And I'm sorry to call you out like this, but girl. <laughs> now i saw this movie in theaters with my best friend from we've been best friends since like middle school like seventh grade and we saw oh, this together <laughs> same oh really yeah. whoa oh my gosh we're linked in so many ways oh this um, is a new level of friendship yeah if i could but hold the, your hand right now i would feel power oh uh, through zoom yes feel it <laughs> <laughs> um but the day that we went to see it was the day of the Oscars, the same year that Eddie Redmayne won. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> best, best leading actor. <laughs> and this was the most recent movie I'd seen mere hours beforehand where I was like, huh, that, that, guy's, that guy's an Oscar winner now. Huh. <laughs> I, like no, no shade to Eddie Redmayne. He's a, I do think he's a good actor. Um, just not in this movie. <laughs> well, you know what wasn't an Oscar winner? Ever After, a Cinderella story. Mm. It came yeah. out in 1998. It should have won something. Um, it should. It wasn't even... Was it nominated for costumes, at least? I don't think so. No, wow. I didn't Wow. Um, the Academy, screen, I thought you loved gowns. The screenplay is by Susanna Grant, Andy Tennant, and Pick Parks. And it's based on the 19... Nope, wrong... That's the wrong year, John. It's based on the 1729 story by Charles Pierrot. I'm saying that last name wrong. It's French, so I believe it's parole, because I believe the T is silent. Great, but it's uncredited, so whatever. Right. It's directed by Andy Tennant. 
on Rotten Tomatoes, it's got a 91% fresh rating, deservedly so. Yeah. However, Metacritic is a little harsh. It's got a 66 out of 100. (laughs) Uh, Well, that's out of 18 positive reviews, three mixed reviews, and one negative review. Um, So I'm guessing the reason why it's relatively low for having so, it's 81% positive, but the highest actual number score got from anyone was 90 out of 100 uh from damn it guys (laughs) and that was from newsweek uh newsweek review credited to laura shapiro and Corey brown okay thanks guys Um, for giving it a 90 yeah and then there was an 80 and 88 and 275s including from roger ebert three out of four star review that's good for him (laughs) still rude uh and according to imdb the Brothers Grimm arrive at the home of a wealthy grand dame who speaks of the many legends surrounding the fable of the Cinder Girl before telling the quote, true, unquote, story of her ancestor. It is interesting that it's credited to the parole version of the fairy tale instead of the Grimm's because the Grimm's are the ones who are actually in the movie. But I think it's because she's correcting it, them. Yeah, well, and it's, well... But it is French. Yeah. Not, well, it's not a German story. We'll, we'll get into that in a bit. <laughs> now we have Jupiter Ascending. It came out in 2015. It's written and directed by the Wachowski. Wachowskis? Wachowskis. Wachowskis. Yes. Um, Rotten Tomatoes has got a 27% splat rating, which is generous. <laughs> but Metacritic gave it a 40 out of 100? Uh-huh. Why? <laughs> I'm inclined to agree with Metacritic here. That's no. out of 40 reviews, 8 were positive, 17 were mixed, and 15 were negative. <laughs> but, like... <laughs> now, if you read the positive reviews and even the mixed reviews, they give a lot of credit to it being a genuinely very creative movie, um, and especially being one that's not part of... It's a big action movie with lots of sci-fi special effects and everything, that's not an adaptation or a that's sequel true. or a remake. So a lot of it is just like, we're chalking, like like it swung for the fences and for that it deserves credit. I agree with them on that respect, but like, yeah. come on. <laughs> I and, mean, if, if it were up to me, I would give this movie like a, like a 95 out of 100. I fucking love this movie. <laughs> it's, too, it's too entertaining. And according to IMDb, <laughs> bless this person person's heart, whoever wrote this, because I couldn't tell you without reading what this movie is about. <laughs> um, a young woman discovers her destiny as an heiress of intergalactic nobility and must fight to protect the inhabitants of Earth from an ancient and destructive industry. <laughs> I'm sorry, even reading it. It's like, yes, but... But they also but. made it sound so much more boring than it is. But, they, <laughs> but also, like, it actually makes sense, which it does not. Yeah, they, they gave it the plot. Um, and, you know, speaking of plot, <laughs> I didn't make any bullet points this time around. Because <laughs> as much as my friend Lauren wants us to tell her that it's the same movie... I don't think it is. And I couldn't really find 
direct I, plot points that followed. Like, well, let's okay, go ahead. Like the one that I found though that they talk about in both is like class. The yes. classes as a romantic story. Right. There there is like a lot of socio-political um I don't want to call it commentary because I don't think it's really nuanced enough to be considered that, but it is a theme. No, so like you've got Kane Wise <laughs> and <laughs> uh, Danielle de Babarak. Nope, wait, what's her actual last name? Yeah, de Babarak. Danielle de Babarak are like the commoners in this quote unquote, they're the commoners in their respective stories. Right. And then you have. Mm-hmm. Crown Prince Henry, that's his character name. Um, <laughs> you have Crown Prince Henry and Jupiter Jones. <laughs> I, Lord, I love you and I'm so sorry. <laughs> I hate this movie. <laughs> it took me five hours to watch it. Um, but I'm not apologizing because I love this movie. I watch this movie a lot, very frequently. Somebody on Twitter, when this movie first came out, um, I want to say it was probably Lindsay Ellis, uh, who's a very successful YouTuber who does, like, movie uh, essays and stuff like that. Um, But she, like, she's obsessed with this movie. And I think it was her who wrote about on Twitter, watching this movie as a woman who used to write, like, fantasy fan fiction and stuff like that, Watching this movie sort of gave you a lot of the same just visceral joy that I imagine a lot of straight, heterosexual, cisgendered men get from watching something like Transformers, where it's all just pure fantasy fulfillment and it doesn't have to make sense because it's just feeding you all the things you want. Like, oh, you're going to get the hot person even though you think you're a loser and like you You have special powers and you have all this cool stuff. Before we keep going further into the Venn diagram, <laughs> I'm just going to call a spade a spade right now. Yeah. The, the Wachowskis made their version of Star Wars. Done print, I'm calling it. Because that's it. That, that, that's what they did. They I, made, I think they wanted this to be their Star Wars. If we're being honest, The Matrix is their Star Wars. But like this was their space opera as right. Star Wars A New Hope turned accidentally turned into a space opera okay. and i think that's what they were hoping for yeah. i hope that's what they were hoping for <laughs> um, i don't know I, you might have more information on this than me but i feel like i remember when this first came out hearing that it was originally planned as a trilogy and then the studio backed out of that contract at the last minute so they only had a contract for one movie so they just shoved all three movies into one now, see, that made sense, because right. I was just like, there's so much that happens in right. this one movie. It would have worked as a book, as right. a TV series. Even as a trilogy, I see it where it's, all right, each movie, it's a different one of the Abrasic siblings who is the main villain of that movie. And yes. so you can easily divide this movie up into thirds, depending on which Abrasics she is dealing with. Yeah. So, like, like when we talked about Don't Judge Bug by its cover, was that last episode? That was last episode. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) These have very, like, strong leading women characters, both Mm -hmm. movies. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, and here's the main, uh, what I'm thinking was to her the main um, connection between them is that they both start off as servants 
and by the end they are queens. Yes, I like, will. They're, they're they're both like Ever After. Obviously, it's in the title, a Cinderella story. But Jupiter Ascending is a, is also a Cinderella story. I'm gonna fight you on that though, because technically she's not like Cinderella. Well, no, but a Cinderella story just refers to any story where it's rags to riches in that sense of it. It's a reincarnation story, though. That's the thing. They even spell it out like it's right, your but DNA. she but she starts off as a maid. And also in the traditional Cinderella stories, most of the fairy tale versions anyway, she is born of nobility and then is stripped of that nobility and regains it. Not yeah. in Ever After. In Ever After she is born uh, to a wealthy merchant, but he's a merchant. He's not a nobleman. Okay. I was a little confused because I was yeah. just like, he's marrying a, bar- a baroness. Mm-hmm. Clearly something's going on there. Mm-hmm. I thought he was of similar status. I didn't realize he was like below her. Yeah. No, I mean, it, that was a fairly common thing if there was one family that was of noble blood but was running out of money. And then there was this upwardly mobile middle class at the same time who had money because they were involved in really good business practices and things, but they didn't have any noble titles. So a lot of times those types of families would marry off their children together so that the noble family could get money and the moneyed family could get nobility. So back to my first issue about discussing class, we have in each movie, one person in this in their respective relationships is the quote-unquote lower class person out of the two. And they are the ones that have the issue with them being in said relationship. For example, Danielle, because clearly she's lying, Mm -hmm. has an issue because she knows that she's lower class, way lower class than Prince Henry. And then Kane Wise is the one that's always reminding Jupiter by calling her your majesty and everything. Right. And even to the point where he's like, I'm a dog, basically. <laughs> I have more in common with a dog than I do with you. I love, I love dogs. dogs. I've, I have, I've always loved dogs. I have more in common with a dog than I have with you. I love dogs. I've always loved dogs. Um, well, just touching on that real quick, the way he is always calling her your majesty and she likes it and she keeps asking him to call her your majesty again. She only likes it when he says it. I watched Jupiter Ascending first and then I watched Ever After and I forgot that in Ever After there's she a line. the same thing. Yeah, where, where he finally calls her Danielle for the first time and she's like, say it again. And he's like, what? And she's like, my name. Please, Danielle. Say it again. I'm sorry. No. The part where you said my name. That's right. Yeah. So that did I mean, happen. Yeah. And they both had a B scene. <laughs> I was gonna bring that up later. The best line in each movie has to do with bees. <laughs> Although <laughs> They're clearly talking about two separate things. <laughs> right, right. The, the bee thing is just a joke. It's just a punchline in Ever After. Um, and then Marguerite, there was a bee. Um, and oh, then... no, I, I didn't mean that one. I meant like a literal bee scene. Like when Paulette and Danielle are discussing how Danielle saved Maurice. <laughs> there are bees. They have the, yeah. they have the they beehive I mask on. I forgot about that, too. 
But yes, Marguerite too. It's a punchline. Right. It, it's my favorite line in the whole movie. The way she delivers it is brilliant. And then of course, the best line in Jupiter Ascending is, these don't lie. <laughs> uh, that's a good Sean Bean <laughs> impression. Yeah. There's another similarity too, is that both of these movies have a mentor figure who is an older man instead of a woman. Yes. Which, if we're, you know, going back, obviously, Leonardo da Vinci plays the role of the fairy godmother in Ever After. If you want to try to force everyone into a Cinderella part in Jupiter Ascending, Sean Bean would be similar to the godmother. Wait, did everybody? I think I wrote that down, I thought. Yeah, damn it. I put that as a difference, though. Because I said Da Vinci acts as the fairy godmother and the voice of reason. Sean Bean's character is Stinger a peeny, (laughs) and he's part B. But it's important because bees recognize loyalty. It's in their DNA. Yeah, but he wasn't bowing down to her. Whatever. Um, But he... (laughs) He is, like, the voice of reason, but he also double-crosses them. Right. So, I would uh, argue more Da Vinci is the fairy godmother and voice of reason. Okay. I would only put Sean Bean in there, and Sean Bean's really more a traditional mentor. I would only slot him into the godmother part because he's the one who convinces her that she's special. Well, that's true, and he also does convince Kane wise I will never just say the first name, by the way. That's fine. It's, so, it's like Samwise. It's so stupid and I love it. Yeah. Um, except I don't for Jupiter Ascending. He does convince Kanewise to like fight for love. Go back and fight for her. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But okay. so. Oh, and both of them mentor both of the, lo- both the, the male the... and female lead instead of just the female lead. Oh, that's true. I just are, are we that finding now? more similarities? Fine, whatever. We are. Uh, <laughs> they're still not the same movie. I mean, besides like going from rags to riches, right? And there's no like plot points, really. Um, because like you could, you could. I guess you could say that the protagonist has to fight the villain, but, like, in Jupiter Ascending, there are three villains. There's not one villain, really. Well, if you want to stretch it in Ever After, there's Rodmilla, the stepmother, there's Marguerite, the stepsister, and then there's Monsieur Le Pew, which... Right, but I would, I would argue that there's only two, really. Well, in Ever After, I would just say that there's one because... Both Marguerite and Le Pew are working for Rodmilda, the Baroness. The Abraxas children in... Is, is Le Pew working for them, or is he working with them? He, he makes a deal with her. Right. So it's all pointing, all roads point back to her, I feel like. In Ever, in, not Ever After, Jupiter Ascending, the Abraxas children are working for themselves. They're not, I mean, they're all trying for the same goal, but right. they're they, not they, work, they didn't band together. They are all double crossing each other to become the ultimate universe monarch of capitalism. They're becoming the master of the universe. Thank you, uh, E.L. James, for putting that in my brain again. Well, Thank you. <laughs> but there's also, you know, there's scenes in both movies where a bad guy, one of the villains, wants to marry the heroine. I was just about to say that. I don't know if Le Pew wants to marry her. He buys her as a slave. 
I she wrote, seems to have sexual designs on her. That's, that's how I've always that's read it. that's different, though. I feel like I that's so. Rewatching it, I was like, he just wants to fuck her. He doesn't want to marry her. He just wants to, for her, he wants to take her to the Red Room of Pain. That's it. <laughs> I agree with you about the Jupiter-Titus marriage, mm-hmm. but I'm saying it as characters almost marry as a business merger. So you have Henry and Gabriella, the Spanish... Oh, Is she the yeah. princess? Yeah, she's the princess. I believe she's supposed to be the daughter of Ferdinand and Isabel. Isabella. Yeah. And, like, I, li- I like the parallels of that couple, mm-hmm. Gabriella and her lover and Henry, and uh, Henry sees, oh, it's okay to love, just love? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say, one of my, like, pet peeves with the movie Ever After is that Everybody has a French name that is pronounced more or less correctly, except that Prince Henry should be Prince Henri, and oh, King, thought... King Francis should be King Francois. They're known okay. as Henry and Francis when you're, talk- when you're in an Anglophonic country and you're yeah. talking about French history, but in France, they were Henri and Francois. Yeah, because they're saying de Babarak. Yeah. With French accents. Or yeah, they, they, yeah, like they even say Nicole instead of Nicole. And they say Jacqueline instead of Jacqueline. Yeah. They say Marguerite instead of Margaret. It's a pet peeve of mine. And speaking of names, not really. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess another plot, another like plot point. Uh-huh. But not real. I don't know if it's really that important to mention it as a plot point. I think it's more of a story point. Okay. Um, the main character loses their father. Yes, they do both start with a prologue that depicts the death of the main character's father. But like, Jupiter's dad dies right away. And Danielle is there witnessing uh, Augusta... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very traumatic moment for Danielle, whereas Jupiter was born without a father, but she was named the name that her father wanted to give her, even though it's ridiculous. I'm rolling my eyes (laughs) so hard at this movie. Um, Uh, These these aren't plot points; they're more character points. But the main heroine in each movie does have an academic interest. Uh, Danielle reads, and she specifically reads sociopolitical satires, which is not typical for women, and especially common women um, during that time period. And then Jupiter is interested in astronomy, and she's trying to buy a telescope. Is she really interested in astronomy, though? She, why, why, why else would she want the telescope? Because it, it, just a reminder of her father? She's spending an awful lot of money on it. <laughs> I always took it... Yeah, I always took it as like, oh, she inherited her father's interest in it. I mean, there's never a... I I just wish there was a line that said that in this kitchen sink movie. Well, (laughs) here's a... I have have another plot point that I'm really thinking of. Protagonist fights but doesn't kill the antagonist. Mm. I'm calling Balam Abraxas the main antagonist of that movie. He's, Although, the, he's the one who wants to outright murder her. I thought of Jupiter Ascending as a video game mm-hmm. where he's the big boss at the end of the game. Mm-hmm. And the other two Abraxas children are the little mini bosses that mm-hmm. you have to fight through to get to the next level. Yeah. And they provide convenient exposition. Yeah. That's what this whole movie <laughs> is. Well, also to go back to your point with reading and logic, 
the protagonist changes the romantic interest's mind, more so with Danielle, where mm-hmm. she brings up the utopia and education and all that, and the class system, the caste system, caste system, class system. Which one do class. I want to say? Class, class system. Yeah. Um, however, Kane Wise just changes his mind in the operating room when he saves Jupiter from the keepers. Yeah. Did you know that that's their name, by the way? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> they never say it. <laughs> they, <laughs> no, I think they do at some point. Like, doesn't he at some point say, like, oh, you have a, you have a picture of the keepers on your phone and you don't know how it got there? Oh, my God, he did. Oh, it's so- <laughs> but it's like, I only picked up on that because I was watching it with subtitles. I don't think I even would have picked up on that without that. Ooh, um, um, another character similarity between the male love interests of each movie. They're both rebels um, in very different ways because with Prince Henri, um, I'm going to say his name that way. Do it. <laughs> um, he's like, I just don't want to be king. I'm going to run away. And it's adorable. And then with Kane Wise, he like has literally committed uh, treason against his own government slash military superiors. And like, has like, yes, he is a spliced uh, dog human hybrid, but also he had wings that had been cut off as his punishment for his treason. Don't get me me started on the wings. (laughs) I forgot about it for a second. (laughs) Here's the thing about the wings. On top of everything else I've said about this being some weirdo nerd girl fantasy, she gets a boyfriend with wings at the end. (laughs) I mean, I want a boyfriend who looks like Channing Tatum and has wings. I want to fly around the city of Chicago with him on my gravity boots. Ooh, an aesthetic thing. They both have special pairs of shoes because there's the gravity boots. And then, and then Leonardo da Vinci has those little boat shoes that make him walk on water. And, and also the, the glass, glass slipper. Um, it's not I, really glass. Glass beads, I guess. Ah. I guess. I guess that that would be That's my assumption. Because unlike what Disney presents to us and right. every other iteration of Cinderella. Right. It's well, not I, gla- a glass slipper. It's a right. slipper decorated with glass right. adornments so, of sorts. Yeah. So I would assume that's another thing that's like, oh, it got lost the number of times that this story was told. The details got smudged and people misinterpreted mm-hmm. it. Do you have any other similarities before I rip them apart with differences? Mm, no. Let's talk about the endings, shall we? <laughs> yes. Where Danielle lives on to be royalty, and even the grand dame, her, ooh, I want to say her great-granddaughter or granddaughter? I mean, if she's speaking to the Grimms and danielle was buddies with leonardo da vinci we're talking several centuries apart from each other like i want to say three centuries later and the the grand dame was still living in the castle right basically and then jupiter though now royalty at the end uh goes back to cleaning toilets because she's mila kunas and she's gorgeous (laughs) doing it also can we talk about how she cleans toilets Full makeup with, like, this amazing smoky eye. Yeah, wouldn't you? That's <laughs> you what I what? do on the daily. Oh, God. The, this is, like, the type of thing where 
I understand you probably have somebody different in mind for the cast when you write this screenplay, but once you cast somebody who looks like Mila Kunis, maybe rewrite some of the lines so it doesn't sound like she can't get a man to notice her. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, fuck you, Mila Kunis. I don't want to hear you talk about how, like, unlucky in love you are. Speaking of love, <laughs> there are obviously these, both these movies have a love story or yes. are a love story have a love story I'd say one is have. more of a love one is more a love story yes jupiter sending has a love story i'm going right. to differentiate and with ever after a love story is based off of a lie because mm. you know danielle lies about being a courtier and uh she is nicole de, de l'encre her, her mother's name and all that jupiter ascending though the love story is based off the damsel in distress trope as much as I feel like Jupiter is a strong character and she don't need, she really don't need a man. And it's not because she's a woman. It's because she grew up on earth, not knowing about these creatures, but she's not equipped for dealing with the keepers or, you know, the Abrasics and all of their She holds, people. she holds her own though. I feel like. She, no, she absolutely does. Like, like, it's not that she's not capable of fighting them. It's just that she doesn't know enough about them. She needs somebody to help her out. But it like, literally she falls and Kane has to swoop in and save her like Tarzan or something. <laughs> right. I, yeah. That's more so the trope I'm going with. Okay. Like, she finds herself in situations where she's falling or um, he really fights instead of her. Right. Uh, but that's also part of her development too, because by the end she's fighting for herself. Felt like she had her own, even though she's kind of an idiot when it comes to <laughs> all of the, like, the fact that clearly um, Titus and, what's the sister's name? Oh, I, uh, Kilo K or something. Kalik? Kalik. <laughs> like, clearly... I can't, I can't read my own writing. <laughs> clearly Titus and Kalik are lying to her. Right. And she can't see through that. Yeah. That's why I'm calling her an idiot. I don't okay. mean... I don't mean to be cruel to her, but like, girl, common sense. You know you're being <laughs> right. lied to. Right. Would you say there's a similarity, at least at least in the aesthetic, if not in its actual plot function, but a similarity between the wedding scene in Jupiter Ascending and the ball scene in uh, Ever After? It's not, it's a bit of a stretch, but they, they, they're dressed similarly. They're sort of shot similarly in this big crowd. Or the, this, like, big room with, like, lots of people around. I'm going to agree with you with an asterisk. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, like, they they don't play it's the not, same part in yeah, the yeah, plot. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, where, like, in Ever After, it's the big climactic moment where clearly everything's coming to a boil and mm-hmm. things need to spew out. Right. And with Ever um, Jupiter Ascending, uh, it's more exposition. Right. <laughs> well and that's the thing too well she does end up in danger in it and having to run away from danger but it's very it's uh, the stakes are the emotional stakes at least are so much different than they are in ever after where that is danielle's low point yeah but i feel like though in jupiter ascending she has her lava there to see her (laughs) right Uh, whereas in ever after she has to face her lava right she has to uh reveal herself to him both movies have a subplot Mm-hmm. But they are very different. <laughs> All right, follow me on this one. Okay. So we have the main 
plot and everything. I called the subplot when Milda's uh, attempts to get Marguerite to marry Henri. And then I tried to find a subplot. First, I tried to find the plot of Jupiter Ascending. <laughs> and then I tried to figure the subplot of it. Right. Which is the harvesting. This movie is weirdly anti-egg donors. In particular, the egg donor plotline in the beginning, which they use as sort of a, I don't want to say a parallel, but like an allusion to the human harvesting plotline. It's weird to me because it feels like the tone of it comes off as very anti-egg donors or egg donation. But they had, they clearly did some research onto it because it reflects situations that real people have experienced. I don't know if they meant for it to come off that way. I didn't see it that way, but I'm also a cisgendered male, so I don't know if (laughs) I was looking for that. Right. I mean, it's just things like, I mean, first of all, it turns out that the people performing the procedure are actually the keepers and they're kidnapping her. (laughs) (laughs) But Uh, on top of that, it's not her idea to do the donation it's her cousin's idea she seems very hesitant and worried about it and like she you know makes an offhand reference to how many risks there are which for the record there are risks involved but they're very very not likely to happen they have to tell you about them but you're not going to get cervical cancer from doing this procedure uh i wouldn't call this i wouldn't call that a plot device i would call it more of a story storytelling device yeah it's more literary than it is actual narrative you know what i mean and speaking speaking of literary Uh, sort of yeah i like how both movies redefine things in a way it's Mm -hmm. not i wouldn't call it a similarity because they're redefining things differently Mm -hmm. but I'm going to group it as that, where, like, clearly the whole thing of Ever After is to redefine Cinderella. It's it's Cinderella as historical fiction rather than fairy tale. But, like, they bring forth things that what they're saying happened, Mm -hmm. and then through, like, the game of telephone and oral... Uh, retelling tradition of a story thank you things morphed and changed and like she rode a pumpkin and not just a carriage and she had a a dress that had glass slippers and all that and then with and even like the some versions of the tale the fairy godmother is supposed to be the spirit of her mother or it's implied to be the spirit of her dead mother and the dress she wears is her mother's the shoes she wears are her mother's yeah and that's supposed to be her dowry and and you know they mentioned right, they, that her they mom were, is dead. And, you know, Da Vinci is the fairy godmother role, but she actually gets the dress and slippers from her actual mother. And, like, in the movie, she has one wicked stepsister, which then, and another stepsister, mm-hmm. um, who was passive but nice. Mm-hmm. But then, I guess, over time, it morphed into that they're both evil, and so is the stepmother, who must have been evil over time. When mm-hmm. you first meet her, she doesn't. She seems neutral, right? And she's she not, she like, was um, even crying. I mean, it's also Angelica Houston bow down, but right. she was even crying when her new husband died. Yeah, but they also leave it open to interpretation. Where is she crying because she loved him and she's sad to have him gone, or is she crying because she just lost her meal ticket? Don't care. I'm gonna. <laughs> She showed more emotion than being right. a bitch, is what I'm right. saying. Right, there, there was there was a range right there, and and 
even she was never she never loved Danielle. She says that she never loved her. Which but is heartbreaking she, that scene. Yeah. Oh, but it's such a brilliantly acted scene and, and you do kind of get a sense that she feels guilt, maybe. Right. And then in Jupiter Ascending, I'm gonna give them a good point. <laughs> <laughs> I like how they defined certain things that we do these days. Mm-hmm. And even Jupiter Mila Kunis calls mm-hmm. it out after the DMV sequence. <laughs> the bureaucracy sucks montage. Do you know how long that was? The, the <laughs> Hall of Titles sequence? <laughs> I'm going to say, I didn't time it. I'm going to say eight minutes. It was four minutes and 33 seconds. It felt twice as long. (laughs) Yes, but like, that is clearly the DMV. And also, the Abraxas family and some other creature, some other beings, are humans. They are Mm -hmm. humans from a different planet, from Oros. Right. It turns out that humans did not originate on Earth. No, they destroyed the dinosaurs. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) Right. The dinosaurs were actually human-eating monsters that they had to kill. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so, obviously, they have things that we do now, like the wedding sequence, which I'm going to ask you again, how long do you think that whole thing was? Including the fighting in in between. Including the action scene, I'm going to say about seven minutes. Five minutes and 39 seconds. Okay, that was closer that time. We treat the wedding rings as a contract. Right. And so that's what they're having imprinted on their left ring finger is the, them signing the contract for, uh, the like I called it earlier, the uh, business merger, mm-hmm. um, where they defined a lot of things in that movie. Right, right. Where like more. Right. I mean, there's just a lot of allusions to this thing that's normal in our culture, and we think we know where it came from. It actually comes from this other culture that we don't even know exists because it's in space. Yeah, we did. We did the thing. Let's do the. <laughs> let's let's do the fun thing. Let's talk about special features. Special features. Uh, Shady and I each take a movie to do more research on in the hopes of nerding out and like to one-up each other and to maybe give you some fun facts and a surprise here and there. Uh, Shady had Ever After, A Cinderella Story, which Mm -hmm. is the full title of the movie. (laughs) And since that came out first, Shady, wow me with your trivia. All right. Um... Well, I'll keep it strictly to the movie first. I found this on IMDb. I wish I could, I wish they had a source for it. I want to know when she said this, but Drew Barrymore has apparently stated that this is her favorite movie she's ever made. Ooh. And I could see it. It is like, it's not, you know, a fantasy movie, but it's sort of based around fantasy. She doesn't make a lot of movies like this. She doesn't get to do a lot of dialect work or anything. Yeah, she does a lot of modern stuff, so. Yeah, and she is, Danielle's a very active character, especially given that she's based off of Cinderella, who is oftentimes depicted as very passive. And those gowns are, like, have, like, active physically, emotionally, dialogue heavy, all, every, in every which way. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of gowns, um, 
I thought this was interesting. I never noticed this. I used to watch this movie all the time as a kid. I told you before, this was a perennial sleepover fave. (laughs) Um, But uh, I never noticed this as a kid. I noticed it now. But the pale blue dress that Danielle wears when they go to the monastery, that's the exact same dress that Marguerite said she didn't want to wear to the ball because every girl would be wearing the exact same color. So I never noticed that they reused that prop, which is great. I love when movies and TV shows reuse wardrobe and props because that's what real people do. I work in costumes. My God. Yeah. (laughs) How dare Uh, similarly um, at the end of the movie when Danielle comes out as Henri's bride um, or wife at this point and she sentences Rudmilla and Marguerite to working in the laundry she's wearing the same necklace that Marguerite gave to the queen earlier in the movie and said that she had found it Mm -hmm. oh Mm -hmm. my god which is cool like it's it's like a an extra little dig in there, like, haha, you use this to try to make yourself queen, but I'm gonna be the queen. I'm queen, motherfuckers. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously this is historical fiction. You have Leonardo da Vinci, who was a real person, King Francois the First of France, King Henri the Second of France, bunch of like actual historical people. There are a couple like historical in-jokes here and there, which I always like to pick up on. Like they mention that divorce is something they do in England. <laughs> yeah, that was a good joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which was clearly a reference to King Henry VIII, who very famously caused major controversy by divorcing his wife, who was a Spanish princess, incidentally. But because of that, there are also certain things that cause wrinkles in the story. For example, it's a big plot point in the beginning of the movie, the prologue, when Danielle is just a girl, her father gives her Utopia by Thomas More. That book was published in 1516. Leonardo da Vinci died in 1519. And clearly she meets him more than three years after she received the book. So I'll allow it because they use, like they reference Utopia really well. um, And it is- You you need those, that book and you need da Vinci. Right. Yeah, we need da Vinci because there's no other- but the whole point is that he was an artist, but also a man of science. And yes, there were a lot of Renaissance men, but none as famous as da Vinci. Um, obviously, they name drop Michelangelo, and he was a contemporary of da Vinci's, but he wasn't as known for having scientific inventions. Um, I don't think he would have fit the role quite as well. So going back to the story of Cinderella, this movie, does the, the events of this movie do predate the most famous versions, at least in the Western world, of the Cinderella story. Um, it predates Charles Charles Pearl's uh, version by about 200 years and the Brothers Grimm by about 300 years, I believe. But this is a story that actually probably goes back to BC times. What I found, there was a version of Cinderella in Egypt first told sometime between 7 BC and 23 AD or BCE. Um, So even if it was BCE, it was first century. So we're not talking like super ancient Egypt. We're talking like... I mean, it's old enough that the story is about a Greek slave who ends up marrying the Pharaoh. And then there's also a Chinese story um, 
forgive me if I'm pronouncing this wrong, Yi Chen, which uh, is first attested in a source from around 860 BCE, which is another version of Cinderella. Obviously, it's from Chinese culture, um, but it's pretty much the same story. It's a servant girl who lives with a mean stepmother and I believe only one stepsister and she ends up marrying a prince. Cinderella might be legitimately the most famous fairy tale. I think there's just something very universal um, about wanting to just be a good person and then rewarded for being a good person. Wait, did that Chinese story predate the Egyptian one you mean? No, uh, this would have been about 800 years later. Wait, when was the Egyptian one? The Egyptian one was sometime between 7 BC and 23 BCE. I did say BCE um, because modern academic texts use BCE instead of AD. Before Common Era. Oh, I'm sorry. I was saying it wrong the whole time anyway. It's uh, BCE, CE. Before Common Era, Common Era. So everything that you said BCE, just say CE. Mm -hmm. And everything you said BC replaced with a added E. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sorry. <laughs> and then I thought I would just throw this into there is also an Italian version by Giambattista Basile. Again, forgive me if I said that wrong. <laughs> oh, I'm so proud. And that is credited as the first literary European version of the story. It was published in 1634. So again, that would have been after this movie takes place by over 100 years. But before the Grimm brothers. Before the brothers Grimm, yes. Oh, mm -hmm. look at that. Yeah. Steelers. I knew they were Steelers, but. <laughs> and then the last point I wanted to bring up, just because it's funny to me, um, I did look up in the brothers Grimm version famously it ends with the stepmother and the stepsisters getting their eyes pecked out by vengeful birds. <laughs> um, and there may or may not be a slight reference to that in Ever After when they fall into that big vat uh, yeah. when, they're, when they're doing the laundry service. That likely has lye in it. And back in the day when they used lye in laundries like that, the laundress ladies... The women who did the laundry would often go blind from being exposed to lie. <gasps> Shut up! Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I don't know if that was intentional, but what a coincidence. All right, that's all I've got. Well, I've got one that's funny to me, too, for Jupiter Ascending. <laughs> yeah. First off, Jupiter Ascending, the release date was pushed back. Originally, it was supposed to come out in 2014, but it came out on February 6th, 2015. And on the release date of the movie, Jupiter, the planet, was at its opposition, meaning it was, it was at its closest point to Earth, as well as have its face fully illuminated by the sun. Whoa. Thank you, IMDb, for that That's point. That's really cool. Jupiter Jones asks 150 questions in the movie. <laughs> she has an inquisitive mind. <laughs> so you know how earlier you were talking about how um, Mila Kunis is beautiful and mm -hmm. with her being cast and she has no right to talk about how she's ho-hum, even though she's gorgeous. Right. She wears a smoky eye to work. 
Mila Kunis was not the original choice for mm-hmm. Jupiter Jones. Natalie Portman was originally cast, but dropped out. And then... She's gorgeous, too! And then, according to IMDb, Rooney Mara was considered to replace her before Kunis was finally cast. Okay, I think Rooney Mara is gorgeous, but I could believe that she thinks she's not gorgeous. I don't know. You need somebody like <laughs> like me playing Jupiter Jones, or I'm <laughs> I'm just a fat blob of a person. I'm like, right. I'm not pretty. <laughs> uh, speaking of our goddess Mila Kunis, neither <laughs> her nor Channing Tatum could describe this movie. <laughs> Channing Tatum. During a Reddit AMA, I have no idea what that means. Do you ask know what? Me, yeah, that's an ask me anything. Uh, verified celebrities can go on and people ask them questions and they try to answer as many as they can. Great. And then Mila <laughs> Kunis was on James Corden's The Late Late Show. Mm-hmm. And the, on it, they play a game called Spill Your Guts or Fill Your Guts. And one of her questions was to describe the movie or tell what the plot is and she couldn't so she had to eat disgusting food (laughs) which is famously on youtube go watch it (laughs) so now we get into our final thoughts Mm. shady yes control yourself because i know you know the answer to this one (laughs) are there any other movies like this that you can think of off the top of your head if we're going with the Cinderella theme, literally any movie with Cinderella in the title. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe not Cinderella Man. That's a little bit different. But... That's different. But like you have the animated Cinderella, the Leslie and Warren Cinderella musical, the Brandy Cinderella, which is fabulous. Right. That's probably my favorite version very closely tied with the very close to the animated version the disney one wasn't our best friend julie andrews in a film version of the musical she was in the very first televised version of rogers and hammerstein cinderella i do i don't know if there's a print that survived of that you have uh cinderella story cinderella story 2 is there a third (laughs) one probably Oh god, so many so many Hallmark movies. And then you know Tatrick Hall did a music video of it, a music movie on YouTube. I don't know. But yeah, it's and like you said, it's historically famous right. in terms of a story. Right. Um, um I'm trying to think of ones that have the elements that we spoke about that are similar between these two. None. <laughs> right <laughs> besides being cinderella right none. well I, well i'm even thinking like oh are there any other ones where the godmother role or the mentor role rather is filled by a man uh i don't remember cinderella story the that one, was it was oh, regina king was her godmother okay the one with hillary duff yeah what about the yeah. other one the second I, one the that one i don't think i've ever seen great neither have i <laughs> But, like, you know, bow down Whitney Houston as the fairy godmother. She's... Yeah. Wow. Special feature for that movie. Did you know that they originally wanted her for Cinderella? And she was like, (laughs) no. 
No. I'm too old. No. <laughs> I, I, I am not young enough to be said, no. <laughs> I'll be the fairy godmother. There's this girl, Brandy. You'll really love her. She should be Cinderella. <laughs> um, so these two movies, not the other ones that we just talked about. <laughs> right. Did we like them? Yes. But yes, I love both of these movies, but in very different ways. They please different areas of my brain. I'm going to agree with you on that one. Okay. Because um, you've, you've got goddess Angelica Houston. She's so good. Just like eating up the scenery in every scene that she's in. Oh. And, da- and acting circles around every single person in that movie. And then the other one is good when, you know, you're with a group of friends. Mm-hmm. You're, you, you watch shitty movies. Mm-hmm. Listen. Not a good movie. No, um, I'm not going to tell you that you're watching the next Star Wars. You're watching the next... You're watching the Wachowskis version of Star Wars, like I said <laughs> earlier. <laughs> you are watching the Wachowskis at a time when they were allowed to do whatever they wanted with little uh, oversight. <laughs> um, uh, would we watch them again? Yes. Yeah, given those settings that I mentioned. Listen, grab a bottle of rosé split it with one friend who was really into sailor moon when she was a kid it'll be me yeah Yeah. i do i do also think there is like a strong correlation between people who love this movie and people who loved sailor moon as a kid i can see that yeah (laughs) sailor jupiter 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 jones and like Uh, you know pretty dresses do we recommend them? Obviously, we did already. Yeah. Um, are they actually the same? Shady, I'm going to let you answer first. <laughs> um, no, but I was watching them back to back. I was struck by how many similarities that I never would have put together there actually were. I'm just going to give it a hard no. Sorry, Lauren. <laughs> right. Right. I, I, I do kind of see how she would connect them, though. Like, I don't think they're the same. I'm going to agree hard no, but I see where the connection is. Yeah, they're both a Cinderella-like story. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think, to disagree entirely with what you said, they are not the same <laughs> movie set in different time periods. Sorry, <laughs> I love you. Please still love me. I will pay you to be my friend at this point if you need. But no, they're not the same movie. Um, and if you thought that these, if I'm wrong, and you want to, <laughs> like, get at me, mm-hmm. you can at me on Twitter, at Movies John. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are a fellow Ascendant, uh, why don't you <laughs> <laughs> feel free to ascend with me on Twitter, at Cookie O'Shady. And you can, you know, contact us together yes. uh, via our email moviedejavupod at gmail.com m-o-v-i-e-d-e-j-a-v-u-p-o-d at gmail.com um, we are on Instagram at moviedejavupod and we are on Twitter at moviedejavu no pod yes. uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you want to argue with us that, we, that these are the same movies fine we'll read them Mm-hmm. We may do, like, a fa- uh, an episode of you guys, like, yelling yeah. at us. Who knows? If, right. If there's a specific connection you made between the movies, even if you're not saying the same, but you're like, hey, you missed this one, let us know. Let us know, because we're, we're humans. We, yeah. we admit it. Or if you have your own submission that you want to put 
want to put up and yeah. torture us with at us. <laughs> Come at us. Yeah. Do it. We ask for it. Yeah. Obviously, I'm going to read your email on air, but... <laughs> Yeah, so don't don't put like your social security number in there or anything, but or do. <laughs> and next week we'll be watching The Princess Bride and Stardust. Until next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>